This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats. I just want to take a moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the support of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button and take a moment and fill out a review. It makes a whole lot of help in terms of growing and developing this podcast. Enjoy today's chat. Peace. Hey, this is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats, and joining me is Travis McCorkle. Travis, where are you at, and what are you up to? Uh, I'm in San Angelo, Texas. I'm in my office. Uh, My office is going to change here, hopefully, in less than a year. Going to be moving uh, to a new locker room and new offices at our field. But right now, I'm in the office. I was telling you in the the pre-show here, uh, I'm watching a little bit of Bayern and, and PSG and Tottenham and Whoever they're playing, uh, I forget. And I'm watching uh, Wrexham on my phone with the stats and then answering uh, a ton of emails and trying to give some players some ideas about how to increase, you know, their effectiveness. So it's a bit of everything. How exciting is it to have like new facilities coming along? It sounds like an awesome experience to move from wherever you're at now to into a new surrounding. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, I moved into this building in 2001 uh, when it first opened. So this is a brand new athletic building to me in 2001, except I was over in the assistant coach's office. Um, and and then to now, uh, you know, we're going to break ground and, and have that done within the next, I think, six to eight months, something like that, for a new locker room, uh, new offices right at our field. You know, we've just recently completed um, upgrading our, our seating and everything. We had one area where there's a roof and that's obviously nice in Texas when it's, you know, a hundred and kill your mother degrees, uh, temperature. Um, and, and then now we've got the, the other two sections with a new press box in there. And as soon as they figure out the concrete situation, they'll, they'll get the roofs on those. So it's amazing. It's, it's one of the things that drew me to Angelo state was that they're always building and developing and growing. And, um, you know, if you're not doing that in athletics and if you're not doing that in university landscape now, you're falling behind. Um, you know, it's, it's one of my former presidents said it's an arms race and we've got to be on the winning side of that. So it's challenging, uh, to always be competing and always be thinking about, you know, what are the Jones doing and, you know, what are they adding to their facility, to their staff, to their scholarship budget, to their operating budget, to, you know, the new uniforms or whatever it is. Um, it's competition all the time. You mentioned, 2001. So does that mean you've been at Angelo State for 20 plus years? No, I was at Angelo State for two years as the assistant. Uh, And then in 2003, I left to go start a new program at Eastern New Mexico for the women. And that's when Jess uh, Montel, formerly Roses, uh, came into the picture. So I was looking for a lot of JUCO players because I didn't even start recruiting until it'd be about the same as right now with a zero roster, nobody on it, um, I'm trying to fill up a complete roster. So uh, obviously my worst season, but I think I have some people that understand the situation. I think we finished three and 12, Um, but we did win our first conference game on the road. So that was nice. That's probably the game that Jess was talking about where she had to do her pushups after the game, after we won. (laughs) So, um, but no, so I was there uh, 2004. They asked me to start the men's team there at Eastern Mexico. So, I did both um, that first year and well, the second year, but uh, in 2004. And then after that, 
Um, I at that time, actually, I hired a graduate assistant. His name was Harold Munoz, and uh, he's now my assistant here uh, at Angelo State. So it's kind of crazy how, how everything has worked out. But, yeah, I was in Eastern New Mexico for five years, um, five years as a women's coach, one year as the men's coach. And then in 2008, I got a call from the uh, previous athletic director here, and uh, she asked me if I wanted to come back. And I said, absolutely. My, my wife loved it here. I loved it here. It's a, you know, my only complaint about the city would probably be that there's only one airlines that comes into town. That's American. You know, I wish that we had, I wish that the airport was bigger and there was maybe three or four airlines coming in and, you know, be easier for kids to travel in and out. Uh, I think it helps with the appeal, but I mean, the airports can only support what it can support. And there's obviously not enough business to get, you know, we used to have Continental come in and think we had Delta for uh, a quick minute. Um, but yeah, so I've been here now, uh, 16 as the head coach, two as the assistant. And then I've got, like I said, five years as a head coaching experience in Eastern New Mexico. So yeah, that's, that's my, my background in college. And then I was for seven years, I was a DOC in, in Colorado for a, a little club in, in Grand Junction, Colorado near Mesa state. And, uh, it was just the beginning. So they're only the mega clubs, uh, like the, uh, at the time, it wasn't even Colorado Rush. It was uh, Littleton United and Club Columbine. And that was Tom Stone and uh, Tim Schultz combined that and, and formed what is now the, the mega behemoth of Rush worldwide. So Colorado, is that where you were born and raised? Like when did, the, when did you get the soccer bug? When did you say, you know what, I want to be a part, I want to play this game? Well, I was born in California, born in uh, Hemet, California, Riverside County, and uh, started playing when I was five years old, so like five years old, like mostly kids. Um, at the time, my stepdad had just married my, my mom. He had no idea of anything with soccer. He was a baseball guy. And uh, so I, I learned, and I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he was good. Um, went to, to Colorado when I was 10 years old, and there I was really fortunate. We had... Um, so I learned about diversity very young because my club coach, we didn't have high school soccer there. And my club coach, uh, she was a member of the B team for the women's national team. And uh, she was fantastic. That was Bar Barb. Uh, and then her husband, and I, uh, I mean, I want to say his name was Ken. But uh, anyways, she helped tremendously. Uh, and, and when I was in high school, I said, you know, I, I really, I think I want to go and play in college if I can. And I sent off a couple of videos and the masses spoke and I went to Mesa and did not play soccer. <laughs> so, um, I, I wasn't a, a special player, but also what happened was my senior year, um, where I caught the bug was I, I made a team that was basically like, well, it was the ODP team, uh, basically for Colorado and we went over and played for five weeks over in Europe. So I played in Denmark and Belgium and Sweden and Germany and Prague. And at the time, uh, Belarus, which was part of the Russia, part of Russia and Moscow and Czechoslovakia and everywhere. Um, it was amazing. And, and that changed that changed my course that began it. So I could sort of see off in the future that, hey, I really like this. Not just, you know, eh, if I can be successful, I want to do it. I really liked it. And so when I went to Mesa, um, I just went there for school. I was on a path to go into criminal justice, uh, pretty much the same as coaching. So I, um, I was going to go into the DEA. My, my stepdad was a police officer in the city, city police force. 
my grandfather uh, had been a state state trooper. And so I thought, well, I'm really good with a rifle. Not that I'm pro guns or anything like that, but I'd gone hunting and I'd used two bullets, one for the deer and one for the elk. So I thought, I'm, I'm okay. Maybe I can pursue that. And then my junior year, we changed professors and uh, it didn't work out for me. I, I was really a, a mediocre college student. And then we got the new professor and I was busting my tail and uh, I wasn't cutting it. I was like struggling with D's. And so I decided, um, you know, I need to think about it. So I went home for the summer. And when I went home that summer, the city parks and rec department asked me if I do a kid's clinic, which was the first time that I had done any kind of coaching other than I forgot to add the part where I was, I was coaching a club team at the college. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a real team, like a varsity team, but I got a little bit of a, you know, introduction to coaching and trying to play at the same time. And that's not something I would recommend to too many people. It's very stressful. And I'm not sure that I got the best out of myself trying to do both jobs. But uh, anyways, I went home and I did that, that kids camp and I loved it. And I said, I'm going to go and, and get my teaching degree and see what I can do. And then I graduated and I didn't have a job. So I went, do you remember the movie um, Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was my job at a high school. So um, it wasn't my dream job, but I was coaching at the same time. Um, I had already gotten into into the high school. I was a, an assistant with the women's team there. And then before I graduated, I took over the, the boys high school team and then was still helping the girls team a little bit. And then I graduate and I, I'm doing the, the, the Michelle Pfeiffer Dangerous Minds job, um, dealing with kids that got kicked out of class and uh, the club comes and says, hey, we want you to come be our director of coaching. So I went and did that, um, did that for seven years, really enjoyed that. So I've had a lot of experience at starting things with starting that position, starting the club, the college team at, uh, at Eastern New Mexico. And but that just kind of began the path. And eventually my wife said, you know, I would come home and talk about, you know, the parents and how difficult that was and a struggle and you know, the board was full of parents, obviously. And I think at that time we had a board of about, it seemed like 153 people, you know, and everybody wants to vote everything unanimously through. Um, but toward the end, we, we shrunk the board down. I might've been exaggerating, it might be like 13 people, but it was a large board. And uh, we shrunk it down to about seven. And she's like, listen, I, I don't know if you're enjoying it that much. You need to go do your master's and go coach in college. And I was like, well, I don't know how that's going to be any better. I mean, I'm going to be going and, you know, begging, you know, 17, 18 year old kids to come and play. And, you know, I'm not sure the parents are going to be out of the picture then, but she pushed and persisted and I eventually did it. They had a, a sports admin program through uh, the university of Northern Colorado that came into to grand junction. And um, so I, I did the first, it was a three summer program. I did the first two summers and then, before the third summer began, I got the job as the assistant coach here. And so then I, I went back for the summer, stayed with a friend and finished up that course. And uh, I mean, like I said, the rest of it's uh, history. I've already, you know, explained how I moved and all that. So but that's kind of the journey. It was uh, not the standard journey, I don't think. But I found that as I get older, um, the things that I thought were standards and how everybody did things, that's not really there's no clear cut path to playing college soccer, to coaching college soccer, to, you know, doing a podcast. I'm, you know, I don't know if this is what you envisioned, you know, when you were a junior or sophomore in high school, you said, I really need to get better at this, this, and this, because this is what I'm going to do. Um, 
it just happens. And so I embraced it and I've loved it. So there's a lot to, to peel back on that one. One of the things that stood out is you mentioned the coach Barb and her impact when you got to Colorado. What was it about her and the experience and that made you just kind of get that spark? Um, I mean, she was smart. She, she understood. And I think that at that time, especially if you go back even before that, my, when I was growing up, the only way you were going to get experience most of the time in America was if you had a, a foreign coach um, because they had played it enough or you're in a major metro area, maybe then maybe there's big clubs in that. But I wasn't in any of those. I mean, I was in a little small mountain town, which I will tell you was a huge ended up being a huge positive for me. Um, but the biggest part is, is that Barb had experience that no parent was going to bring in and say, you know, hey, this is how you do, you know, the Rivolino, or this is how you do this cutback move, or this is how you hit a half volley. Nobody was going to be able to demonstrate that. And having her there, she was really good at that. Her husband, you know, was, was a decent player. He wasn't a, a World Cup guy, but he was a good player. And, um, and I had a lot of good teammates. And the fortunate part um, about living in Colorado was that, like in the summertime, I, uh, Glenwood Springs is where I graduated high school. And it's about 40 minutes north of Aspen. And up in Aspen, I mean, obviously, people think about the rich and all that. But there's a lot of people that work up there, too. And because of the way that the city is with, you know, having a lot of famous people or money or this and that, there's a lot of people that want to go there. And one group that went there a lot were foreigners. Um, and I mean, I mean, like people from Europe that were going in there and they were working. They would do river rafting in the summer and play mm -hmm. soccer. And then in the, in the winter, they would do ski instruction and that kind of thing or whatever they could do. I mean, some of my friends, like they lived in a two bedroom apartment with eight of their friends. There was 10 people in the apartment, but there were guys that were former professional players that were playing in that men's league. And I played in that men's league every Wednesday. And then we'd play in tournaments and Colorado was really good about, you know, all these tourist places they made for good um, co-ed tournaments and men's tournaments and all that. And, I would put some of the quality. I mean, we had guys that, that played for the Rowdies. We had guys that played for uh, Preston and Liverpool and guys that were out there playing. So I didn't know any of them at the time. I just was like, that guy seems kind of old to be out here playing with me. You know, like, how's he going to do? And, you know, he pushed the ball by me or meg me on the way back. And I was like, okay, I need to clear my brain out and give respect until, you know, I see otherwise. And uh, I learned a lot. So I learned a lot from Barb and I learned a lot just being in that community because there were some really high level players and I don't, I never made it to that level, but I think I enjoyed for, you know, a six, four guy from, from Colorado. I, I did okay for myself and nothing to be embarrassed about. The other thing you mentioned is the experience of going overseas and playing. What, what were some of those things? If you look back and you're like, Oh my gosh, this was not only the ability to see different places and sites and all the little things. What were some of the things that stood out that you look back and go, man, what an amazing, cause I just hear that and I go, my gosh, that's amazing at the age of whatever, 17, 18, 19 to be able to experience that. Yeah. I raised a lot of money that summer. So <laughs> I learned about how to be independent and go around and, you know, I forget all the different things that I did to raise money. I know one of them was I made an agreement with an electric company I think they gave me $500 and when I got back, I worked for them for, I forget how long it was, maybe a month. And I think they paid me that month. That month was like another thousand dollars or something. So 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't just, uh, I made the team and I went and played. I, I had to fundraise for it. And so again, a great opportunity for me to learn the value of money, uh, and, and how I would spend it and what I would do. But that experience over there was incredible. Just, I mean, from a straight soccer perspective, it changed my views on the game because I saw what other people did. I saw how much it was valued and, and how much it meant to them and, and the level of competitiveness and, you know, I mean, some incredible fields over there. I played on some that looked like each blade of grass had been planted, you know, with a, with a pair of tweezers. And then I also played in a park um, that was like a clay court kind of stuff. And I had only taken over six studs with me. So I was like skating around on this um, sort of like a clay court in tennis. Um, and it was downtown. And um, I learned that, uh, you know, one of the stereotypes about, the Swedish women and how beautiful they were. Oh, that was true. I found out. So that was nice being 18 years old and, and, and being over there. And we had some scary times too. I was, I was in Moscow and this was in 1987. And so downstairs there's guys with fully automatic weapons, um, you know, making sure everything's the way it's supposed to be or whatever. And one of my friends that had, uh, too much sweet tea, let's call it. And, uh, he fell in the bathroom and cut his arm. So we're in Moscow with fully armed people. And my friend has just, you know, cut his arm from basically from wrist to elbow on a porcelain sink that broke. Um, and so, you know, these things are just, these are crazy things, you know, you're going around and, you know, I'm 18 years old. My big thing, I thought I'm going to bring some extra jeans there and the Russians are going to go crazy for these, you know, Levi's 501 jeans. And then you get there and you're dealing with that. And it's, again, it's so different and going to Red Square. And, you know, we went, we took another plane and went to Belarus and we did a sort of uh, like a community outreach sort of thing with the elementary school. And obviously the kids didn't speak any English at all. You know, that's more in the Western Europe where, where most people can speak English, but man, what an experience for, for 17, 18 years old. And, I mean, just incredible. The, the most beautiful place other than if I'm scuba diving, because that's going to be the best place ever in the world to go. But the second best place, um, I went to Prague. And at 18 years old, just the beauty of that that city, that town, um, it wasn't really touched by the, by the wars as much. And I mean, so there's like churches there that were built in like 750 AD. I mean, the, the culture and, you know, I found a nice... Uh, cinnamon liqueur that I liked. Um, that was pretty nice too. My friend and I rode around in the Metro and started speaking gibberish to each other because neither one of us knew, you know, Czechoslovakian. And, uh, and, and again, there were armed guards on the, on the Metro, you know? And so, um, just really different experiences that when I talk to other people and they, they talk about, you know, how great America is, I love America. I think it's fantastic. But I also think that there's so much else in the world for people to go see. And, you know, the Internet and all these things have obviously shrunk uh, the size of the world. Um, but there's just things in other cultures that you just can't get. You know, people telling you that soccer or football, whatever, is the same as football, baseball, basketball and whatever else combined. You can say that, but to go over and see it is completely different. You talked about the the lineage in your family of being a part of the, the police side of mm -hmm. things. 
how was the reaction when you did decide, you know what, I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to kind of follow this other direction. Like how did, when you initially came and said, look, I want to get into this teaching thing. And then of course turned into the dangerous minds, which we'll kind of touch on here in a bit. And then gets into coaching. How was dad and grandpa? How was the reaction to that, that decision and your direction change? Um, my grandfather wasn't, uh, he, he didn't really know too much about it. Part of that is just backstory. Um, my father and mother divorced when I was young. It wasn't a great divorce, so it, it was bad. And uh, but I still stayed in touch with my with my father's um, parents, my Memer and Pepper, which is French. Uh, they told me they're for grandmother and grandfather. And uh, obviously, my grandfather is the one that's French. So my my grandmother is uh, indigenous, Native American, whatever the right term is that I'm supposed to use. But so I have a little bit of that in me, but it's kind of a mean part. So when I have my mean, when I mean, I blame it on, on that part of my culture or background. Um, my step, my stepdad was different. My stepdad, you know, I remember very vividly, um, being in his, uh, in his place in Glenwood, I'd gone down for Christmas or something like that. And he said, listen, you know, I mean, this soccer stuff is great. You know, I mean, it's amazing what it's given to you as far as going to Europe and stuff, but you need to get a job. You know, you need to buckle down and get a job. Soccer is going to be a good hobby. You know, you can go coach little kids team someday or something like that, but you got to get a job. And I think that honestly, uh, that fueled me because I don't like it when people tell me I can't do something. Uh, and so, you know, now, um, now I'm at the age where, I mean, my father said this to me when I was really young because of the problems that we had, he said, listen, when you're old enough, where you could kick my butt to, to keep this rated G. He said, you won't want to because things will have changed your life. And I, I think that that kind of relates to my stepfather and, and him saying, you know, I couldn't do it, that by the time I had sort of um, made myself, if you will, or full-time, whatever, I didn't see any reason to go back and have to kind of, you know, rub it in his nose or anything like that. But certainly there are times where I'm like, you know, Hey, uh, people are against me and, you know, I, I can push through. I, it kind of goes with, I'll show you this here. We can talk about this later. Um, but this is kind of how I've sort of changed my view on some things lately. So we'll, we'll get to this in a little bit. Um, but it's, it's just about luck and how I can control more than I thought I could when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, which is normal too, though, to feel that way. So the dangerous minds experience when you look back at that what are some of the things that you took from that time and that experience that you feel like now i i brought to um to my coaching now um the experiences of dealing with you know students that don't academically are struggling or don't want to be there what kind of things did you take away from that time oh that's a good question um I don't know what I've brought with it, but I know this. I know that when I was, uh, so I was sort of, a, I forget the name of the movie. Is it Van Wilder? The guy that's in College Forever? Is that the? I don't I know what one. it is. <laughs> All right. So anyways, there's there's a movie. It was a funny movie. And the guy's in college for like eight years and driving around his own personal life golf cart because he lives at the college. And, you know, so I, I was like probably 23 or 24, something like that. And the biggest thing that I learned was that confidence is good. Arrogance is not. So believing that I could do that job was incredible. Actually going and doing that job, 
I don't think I was as good as I thought I was going to be, you know, because I had watched Dangerous Minds and I thought and some other movies or whatever. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to buy these guys chess sets and I'm going to teach them how to think at another level and, you know, make this magic, you know, movie scene of what their life's going to be. And I got in there and it was very different. You know, most of them didn't want to play, had no interest in learning how to play. Um, you know, nobody was excited to see me when I walked in. Um, the best part of my day was probably going at, you know, I hate, I don't, I'm not a big morning person. And uh, so my best part of my morning was I would go into the cafeteria and get like a, a biscuit and egg sandwich. And then I'd sit inside while it was warm for a little bit before I had to go walk around the parking lot and put parking tickets on people's cars and, you know, do other things that I had to do. And I could just sit and enjoy my uh, sausage and egg uh, McMuffin, so to speak. Um, and that was it. But I guess the biggest thing that I that I took from it is, is don't assume that I have the answers. I, I'm not near as smart as sometimes I think I am. And so I need to problem solve. I need to look at things from from different perspectives. And, you know, sometimes you might have an answer that worked for one person, but this other person has something different going on with them today. And now maybe that answer is different or that that process is going to be different. And so trying to figure out different ways to, you know, peel a potato or however, you know, I don't know, insert the right analogy there with that. So is that something that you've brought along even with your Angelo state? Or is it always looking at, okay, we have this issue, whatever it could be tactics, physical, emotional, whatever. Are you constantly kind of problem solving and, and working your way through it with your staff and players? I think most coaches do that. I think that most of us, that's what we do on a daily basis. I think that, you know, there are some things that are repetitive that we do, but not many because there's always a little twist that makes it a little bit different. You know, you have somebody gets, um, you know, in college, let's say that somebody gets in trouble. Well, sometimes there can be extenuating circumstances and sometimes there's history, you know, where player A has a, has a history of, you know, doing some questionable things and uh, player B doesn't, you know, you're, some people will treat those exactly the same. I don't, I think I used to, and I think I don't anymore. You know, I, I try to be fair, but everything is not going to be equal. Um, and so I, man, I, I do my best at what I can do. And um, I'm constantly trying to figure out the, the right way to solve things. I'm constantly trying to see how can I improve team chemistry? How can I improve our goal production? 10%, 15%, you know, how can we compete um, in the region? How can we compete nationally? And these are all things that as coaches, we are constantly on the hunt for a 1%. For me, I tell my team this a lot. I don't want to start looking for a 10% jump in what we're doing. Those kind of things just aren't out there. You know, you've got to hunt and fight and scrap, and you've got to hunt for the needle in a haystack and find that one, that thing that's going to do 1% more. And hopefully what you can do is you can find 5, 6, 7, 10, 15 of those throughout the season or throughout a career or whatever it is. And now you're talking about things that can actually impact games you know if your if your team chemistry is right if you've got players that you know when they come out um you know they're not angry and walking away from you so they don't have to you know give you a high five or listen to what you have to say and so you know we have a rule in our team that when you come off as a sub one of the things that they must do is come over and you know we might talk i might just give them a, a fist bump or you know a high five or something and or we might talk but they can't walk away because then what they're doing, there's a couple things. They're trying to show me up 
they're just going to let that anger fester. And the other thing is that's a bad, a bad image to show their teammates that, you know, I'm getting ready to go in for, for you and you come off and you're angry and upset and I'm your teammate. Then I feel like, Oh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be going in. You know, I, my friend, he should be staying in or, he, you know, they should be doing this or that. It's just selfish. And so again, it's a very small thing and it may work a couple of times. It's not going to work all the time, but if it works a couple of times, it's worth it. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's just walking off the field at the right place, you know, give a high five, talk to the coach, let them know what's going on. Um, and then you move on. So I think that that's what, what my coaching is, is doing is I'm hunting under every rock and, you know, everything I can to, to find that 1% in recruits. I, I'm not in a major metro area. So recruiting is not as easy for us. And that's where, you know, now it's different than it was six years ago before Harold came here. I've had assistants. They do a good job. Um, but Harold is, is next level. You know, he, he's a guy that he's got head coaching experience on the men's side. He's got um, assistant coach experience in D1 women, uh, head coaching experience in D2. So he's been there, done that, but he is exceptional at recruiting. And uh, that's been a big, a big difference for, for the program. It's also been something that my, my wife is extremely grateful for because I'm at home more now. We don't have kids, uh, but still it's nice to be home and be able to spend time with my wife um, and do other things. That's a perfect segue because early on you talked about, you know, you were kind of like, do I go into teaching? Do I try to go back and do become, you know, in the police force type thing? And your wife's the one that was that real emphasis and the push. How how impactful, how important has she been that piece of like even going back to Angelo State and her being so excited? Like how how rewarding and like just supportive has that been having her by your side not only just to like yeah i'll go with you but to be so passionate and be like you're not happy doing what you're doing for her to say i want you to go chase your dreams how awesome is that been so empowering uh, i'm so thankful um you know my my wife without her i, I probably wouldn't be college coaching because i would have just stayed in the club stuff and i would have probably moved to another club or something like that um she's been incredible i mean she has moved us one two, three times, three times, um, by herself, pretty much. The first time I think I went home and helped her, you know, with the finishing touches on the, on the moving truck. Oh, what a nightmare that was. We were in Colorado and, and drove three hours, one direction. And then the pass wasn't able and we had to turn around and go back. And we had just dropped off our dog and my wife is crying in tears because we couldn't take our dog with us because we were going to be in an apartment. And, uh, but she is incredible. I mean, she she comes to the games. She will make dinners for the team. Um, just being supportive, you know. Sometimes, hey, listen, I'm going to be honest. I know she's not going to watch this. So I'm going to tell you, sometimes she offers some coaching tips, and I'm just like, all right, honey, we lost. I'm not in a good mood. I don't need to hear your coaching advice about what we should have done. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, she's incredible. She supports, and no matter what I have to do, she takes care of the house. Um, she works here at the university. She's in our HR department, um, so that makes it nice. Um, they're very supportive that you know she can come and watch the team and support us more here, playing in town. But she's incredible, and I mean, obviously, every couple goes through so many things. And you know, for us, there were some issues. You know, we we couldn't have children, and so that was something that um, you know was tough on both of us. And the strength 
that my wife has is immeasurable. So um, she is great and I don't tell her that enough. And, you know, but uh, I did buy her uh, uh, some really fancy Swedish, Swedish fish, those little red gummies or something mm -hmm. and, and a card today. So um, at least I tried uh, to do something today for Valentine's Day. And uh, but I learned a long time ago and this is her fault. She was the one that read me this book about men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And in this book, it says that every act is worth one point. And I sometimes forget. Um, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, I, um, I surprised her with a, a new car and uh, she was excited and loved it. And then I was like, oh, it's only one point, though. Every time I open the door in women's minds, that's the same thing. It's one point. I'm like here. I'm thinking I've got like, you know, 5000 points put away in the bank for when I screw up like uh, all husbands do, um, you know, but she's she's good. Um, you know, we we her mom lives with us, too. And uh, so she helps with that, helps with her mom a little bit, um, taking her to shopping or, you know, traveling or whatever else she's doing. But, uh, yeah, I know I'm very fortunate to have uh, my wife, Luann, and, and how supportive she is and and everything that she does while I'm gone recruiting, while I'm gone, um, you know, with the team practicing and getting dinner and just everything. I mean, she's uh, she's been an amazing uh, partner for me now for 28 years, going on 29. You mentioned building programs from the start, um, Eastern Mexico, you know, even at Angelo State when you were there as an assistant and they were kind of getting things going and now you've come full circle on your back. What, what were those experiences like when you look back and you go, you talked about having zero recruits when you stepped on campus to then taking on the men's side for a year. Um, was that just a continuous grind, a 365 day kind of grind? Like what, when you start one out, what were some of the things like, Hey, I need to get one, two, three, four things in place. Like what, what, I guess the question is what, where do you start? Well, the first thing I want to say is that um, I entered that challenge like I was Superman and I got backhanded across the room like Thor. Because, again, <laughs> when you're young, you think, hey, I can do this. Not a problem. You know, people like me. I can get all these recruits to come here. But I was in Portales, New Mexico, and it's difficult. You know, it's a it's a city of about 12,000, 13,000 people. It's got about 200,000 cows. It's got the North American uh, cheese capital of the world factory in between Portales and Clovis. But none of these things that I mentioned are things that a 17 or 18 year old girl is saying, beating down the door saying, how can I come to Eastern New Mexico? And it was a great place. I loved who I worked with. Like they were really good people. Um, the girls were great, but we weren't that good. And it, and it was a struggle to kind of get, you know, the most common answer that I got when I was in Eastern New Mexico, when I talked to a recruit was, I don't know where I'm going to go, but it's not going to be in New Mexico. It wasn't about Eastern New Mexico, but it was just they wanted to get out of that state and, and go somewhere else. They wanted to go to Colorado where it's, you know, the trees and the rivers and fishing and all that kind of stuff or California or Arizona or Texas. So it was difficult. Um, you know, luckily for me, part of the reason why I took that job was because of a couple of things. There were two main parts. One is I knew I was not going to be worse than the last person because there was no last person. <laughs> and I knew the second thing was I knew that I wouldn't be, uh, nobody would be measuring me and expecting me to be, you know, I couldn't be worse and I wasn't going to be better. It was just going to be me. 
the best part about that is, is that everything that I did there at Eastern, I did what I thought was right. And so what that did was that gave me a tremendous sense of ownership in the program because everything that we did from, you know, creating letterhead to, um, you know, how we designed, like we, we turned an old storage area at Eastern New Mexico into our locker room. And I remember taking an overhead projector down the locker room to paint in the, the EMU logo that I had somebody else kind of uh, create for us for the soccer team and painting the lockers and putting the, the team shelters together planting grass and putting sand on top of areas where we had a, we put built a new field. And so I was doing that. I was top dressing and fertilizing the field. I was painting the practice field. So all these things, when you talk about, you know, paying your dues, I paid my dues there. Um, I paid my dues with administration, with learning all that, taking care of the field. And there are a lot of things that were really nice, you know, that I learned about doing all those things. Not that I want to do them again, but they were good for, for a learning purpose. But the steps that I went through were, were, were just, you know, trying to build through the spine of the team first, just to get a little, you know, technical in what I was doing. I was trying to, to build the, the spine of the team, you know, find the, the center midfielder, find somebody that can score, find somebody that can defend, find a goalkeeper, and then kind of build out from there. And I got a few of the pieces really right, uh, but we didn't quite have all the other pieces that we needed for the goalkeeper and you know, in our defending, we had some pieces, but not enough, you know, and I think we finished that year three and 12. Uh, but then after that, we never finished below 500 there. And, and I think that's, I think that was okay for us there. I think, I hope I'd be able to do a better job now than then, but that was part of the learning process for me. Um, but it was, it was difficult. I mean, in 2004, so my second year, um, I'm recruiting 16 new girls one six, 16 new girls and 30 guys. So I recruited 46 players that year. And I, I know that there'll be JUCO colleges and, you know, some other people say, ah, that's, that's a normal season for us. But that wasn't really what I expected when I went there. Um, and that had something to do too with the, the next year. And I just said, listen, I've got a great assistant um, and he's got a good GA, which was Harold. And I said, these two guys need to take over the men's team. I, I want to go back and one job is enough. I just think that, you know, I can't do two jobs as well as I could do one and put all my focus into that. Um, so, but it was, it was fun. I mean, there were a lot of fun things there with Eastern. There wasn't really at the time, I, I don't think that there was expectations about, Hey, you know, within four years, you got to be winning a conference championship or we're not going to be happy. You know, they knew that they weren't funding things the same way that everybody else was. They know that recruiting there has its, has its uh, hardships. And so, but we had great times. I mean, I remember doing, you know, bringing my barbecue from home and taking it to the field and we played like an alumni game and, you know, I cooked there at the field and I mean, just, it wasn't fun, but I remember putting that team shelter together and, you know, the players are out there kind of looking, what are you, what are you trying to do? And, you know, uh, helping with the field, you know, there were several times where Jess um, had a bucket of sand and a bag of grass seed. And they walked through our game field and they would sprinkle some seed, pour a little sand on, sprinkle a little seed, pour some sand on, you know, just going around looking for, for spots that need to be better. And that field, I had a lot of pride in that field because of how much work I put into it and, uh, and into the practice field. So um, those are all good things. You know, when they talk about what things build characters for young people, you know, it was doing that for me too, because I was fairly young at, I mean, I was 30, about 30, 30 ish, somewhere in there. Um, 
but it was great. It was great. I, I loved it. The, the living in Portales was a little bit of a struggle for my wife and I uh, because, you know, there's nothing to do there. And so we would travel from Portales over to, to Lubbock um, any break we could. And we would, you know, go on some little short trip or vacation or something like that. And we were also closer to Colorado, which her family's from and mine. So we would drive up there for the holidays um, and hang out. And there were some really nice things about that place. You pulled up earlier, looked like a lucky penny and said, yeah. hey, what's the, and that was something you learned about where you can't just rely on luck and buy, and people that can't see is this, how did that penny, what's the saying on it real quick? How did this penny get me where I am today? Ask me. I'm asking so, you, how and did it? It, it has, <laughs> it has a, the little penny here. So um, that was actually the first job that I went and applied for, uh, not the Dangerous Minds job, but the director of coaching. And I remember I got on my truck and I was going into the interview and I saw that penny and I thought, oh, this will be a great story, you know, or I'll, I'll make this penny into, you know, some lucky charm or something like that. And so I kept it and I got the job and I put it in a drawer and I thought, this is amazing. This is fantastic. And, you know, at some point, and I think it was probably, I think right after I had left Eastern New Mexico, or no, it was actually probably at Eastern New Mexico. I made this and I said, you know, why am I giving uh, credit for the things that I've done, the things that I've been successful for, to luck. You know, I mean, I, I've got over on this other wall over here, I've got, you know, a couple little coach of the uh, coach of the year award or the national staff of the year, some different coaching licenses, all those different things. My, my, my bachelor's degree, my master's degree. And they said, those are the things that made me successful. In other words, it's all the things that I've done, like all the work that I put into things. You know, when I wanted to get better as a player, I was getting ready to go over to Europe, like I was telling you about. At the soccer field where I where I lived, um, it was probably about a, I don't know, it was about a, it was downhill. I do remember that because I remember going home was no fun. Going down took me about 25, 30 minutes, and going back up would usually take me about an hour and a half. But I would go down, and we had this this big wall, and it was in the exact size of a goal. And I would I would kick the heck out of that wall, you know, everything from shooting to, you know, chipping and trying to work my first touch, you know. So the point of this, this saying that I have, number one is to try and get recruits to kind of talk a little bit because sometimes they come in and they're not very good at talking. They're, they're too used to this, to their phone. So um, it's a way to get them to open up about that, but also to get them to say, listen, if you make a mistake, it's up to you to fix it. But when you do something great, don't give it away and say, well, that was just because of luck. You know, you, you score a goal and you can't say, oh, well, you know, that was just lucky. It deflected off this person, deflected off that. I'm like, no, you shot it. I've seen plenty of players from this distance in this spot hit a ball, you know, uh, 10, 10 yards over the top of the crossbar. But you hit it low enough. It deflects off people. Hey, that happens. You know, but I, it's a way for me to try and get players to to embrace the idea of, they're going to make their own luck. They're going to make their own success or their own failure. And it, it's trying to give them ownership uh, in what we're doing. That's, that's the main part of that is to take ownership and be happy when you're successful. And if you're, if you're not, then, you know, put on some gloves and get to work. You mentioned uh, like the coach of the year award and all those types of things. What has been the experience at Angelo state? You were talking about uh, right now being very busy with recruiting and like working on like 
getting that a little bit 1% better at scoring more goals. Uh, where has the program come from when you first were there back in 2001 to now, not only the facilities, which clearly have gotten better and you as a coach can clearly sound like, Hey, I've got more experience. I've learned some things, but what else can you, is there different about Angelo state now versus when you were, even when you just took over as the head coach? Oh man, that's such a big question. Um, a lot of things, you know, I would say that the, the number one thing are the players. The players are winning games. So we have a part in who we pick and we have a part in how we shape and mold and, you know, get them to, to do what we want them to do. Um, but it's been, it's a program effort and, and there's, it's been incredible. I mean, when we talk with recruits, you know, um, before I came here um, as, as the head coach, ASU had never won a conference tournament game. Uh, I'm, I don't, I think that I have that right. Um, ASU had, you know, obviously never won a, a regular season championship or a conference championship, had not been to the national tournament, had not won a national tournament game. Um, we've done all those things now. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, obviously I'm not saying all this because I'm trying to brag. I'm honestly, I'm trying to use you like you're going to use me and then I'm providing content and I'm hoping that in some way too, this can help us with recruiting and that's not bad for both of us. So, but I mean, we've, we've won some stuff. Um, and, and I think that that comes down to the work that the players have, have put in the ideas that we've asked them to, to implement and their ability to implement that and beyond. Listen, players do things in games that we haven't coached that just make them special. And, and they need to get credit for that too, that it's not about, it's not about me and, and what I've taught or haven't taught, but they have special qualities. And some of them are on the field. Some of them are just in the, um, the chemistry, the cohesiveness, you know, we, we had, we, we lost uh, a player a couple of weeks ago. The first one that I've ever lost passed away and she was our first ever all American. And uh, you know, at the funeral, there was probably about 30 girls, you know, girls that were um, seniors, juniors, or sophomores when she was a freshman. And then the four years that she was there. And then the girls that were, you know, freshmen when she was a senior. So, this girl had serious connections. Um, everybody loved her on the team and, and thought she was a special person. And uh, but there were also players on the team that that came in that weren't like her. And you know she's the the first one. So that was Sierra. Sierra was our first ever All American. Um, she came in as basically like a walk on. She was living in the city of another school that plays in our conference, and she chose not to go there and came to us, and ended up being an All American. The reason why I'm telling this story is because her soccer part was incredible and then her personality. But there was another girl in the team named Shay Williams. And Shay was a girl that came in as a freshman, was as a coach. She's the one that comes in and you're just like, I don't think I can deal with this kid. You know, she's just too much. As the kids stay now, she's extra, uh, extra difficult, extra tough. Just, you know, and I'm just like, oh, you know, bless her heart. Yeah, they say that in Texas. Uh, a lot, bless your heart, um, for people that are a problem. And, uh, you know, her freshman year, she didn't play that much. And her sophomore summer, she went home and she busted her tail. I mean, she worked hard. She came in and in the first week of preseason, she was crushing it, crushing it. It was going to be our starting, uh, I think, right defender. Second scrimmage tears her ACL. So here's a girl 
that had a terrible approach when she came in. She wanted to have fun. Now, she knew she wanted to do that, and she was very good at that. But she couldn't draw the line when, you know, okay, this is too much, and now I need to take it serious. But, you know, most players and most programs, when that happens with a player, when you've put in that much extra work and you've had the experience that she had, I would say a lot of them, you'll just say, you know what? Uh, something higher than me is saying that I shouldn't be playing soccer and I'm just done. And she didn't do that. She kept on playing, and the next year uh, she was a starter for us and, and finished as a starter the rest, the rest of her time here. But we had such great chemistry, and there were so many other girls that helped lift her up and tell her, listen, you can get through one more day of rehab. You know, you can get through one more day of, of weights or whatever it is. And she pushed with their help. And, and those are the times when the team was carrying her. And then at the uh, her senior year, I did not pick her as a captain. And she's a tremendous leader. But I didn't pick her because if I picked her as a captain, she would have changed. She would have tried to be the way that she felt a captain needed to be. And she wouldn't be Shay. And so, and I was exactly right. In that case, I made a good choice. Not all my choices have been winners. You know, I've made some mistakes, but that one was a great one because she could be her. And I've used that since, you know, we had another girl on the team uh, just graduated a couple years ago named Maddie Kyle and, uh, or a couple seasons ago, two seasons. So, um, but same thing, tremendous player. But if I made her a captain, it wouldn't be right because she would be different. And she had such a huge impact in the team. But she would kind of, how do I say, not in a bad way, but she'd have to behave herself. She'd have to act captain-like, you know. She couldn't get into someone at training, you know, and, and make a strong tackle on them or, you know, yell at them and say, you got to do better. What are you doing over there? Pick it up. Let's go. The point of that whole entire story is that it's the chemistry of the team. The, the chemistry of the team can lift it and, and make it successful. When you're having times of struggle, if you don't have chemistry, there's nobody to to hold things together, you know, to keep people from just breaking down and just saying, you know, throwing up their arms and saying, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, and when you have good team chemistry, when you have players that know that the game is not going to come down to luck, it's going to come down to them. We believe that that makes a difference. And and we look for those players. We look for those players that um, maybe are a little bit overlooked and have a chip on their shoulder. Um, those players can come here sometimes and do really well for us. It sounds like you've built, you're building something great there. Lots of, you're getting starting to get that success. You're, like you talk about chemistry and all these things that you all are building and working toward. If you look forward, are, is your plan to become like you are the coach of Angelo state and you are the legacy and the, when people look at Angelo state, down the road 10, 20 years, it's always going to come back to Travis McCorkle and all of like the program that he was able to put together? Or is there maybe an opportunity that pops up that you or maybe your wife <laughs> would get excited about that you might go and maybe try? I'll try to remember all that questions in there and, and answer it. I think, yeah, I've had some opportunities, um, some calls or some emails or something like that asking me if I want to look at a another opportunity, whether it be division one or division two or whatever. Um, but it, it hasn't been anything that I've been like, yeah, this is the right fit. This is what I want to do. Um, you know, certainly right now at the tender age of 53, I'm not looking to, you know, go down in level or, or just go from, you know, one thing to the other that's equal. 
But if there was an opportunity to, to take something higher, I mean, who knows? Nobody can really answer that, you know, as far as would you go, would you not? To go back to the, the, the first part of your question about the legacy or something like that, to me, honestly, what I hope is, I hope that what I continue to care about mostly are the experience that the players that have been here have had with me. I hope that I've done well to elevate not only my, my university, uh, but also the conference um, and, and help people enjoy the game. I mean, kids have a lot of choices in what they can do now, you know, and I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, uh, youth soccer, college soccer, et cetera, high school soccer, I'm glad that provides an opportunity for kids to stay healthy, you know, good physical health, also good mental health, learning how to deal with frustration, learning how to deal with, you know, whatever the anxieties might be. A lot of time, uh, sport is a good, a good avenue for that. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I know how I feel about what I've done. Um, everybody likes to get a pat on the back and say, hey, did a good job. Um, but I'm really, even though I am 53, I'm not really thinking about that yet. Um, I just want to continue to do the best that I can. You know, I still have some more goals and things that we haven't reached that certainly I would like to reach. I got to do those in the right way. You know, I thought this year, I thought we had a good team. Um, you know, last year we lost to DBU who had gone into the final four and, uh, we had beaten them in the conference tournament, uh, and they beat themselves. They scored an own goal, uh, but we still won the game. And I got to take, I got to take credit for that. And, uh, but anyways, we had competed really well against them. And I thought, you know, we were going to lose some players, some important players, but I think, you know, if I can really push this team, I can really get things done well. And it wasn't smart on my part. I had too high to, too tight a grip on the reins. And, you know, I, I think it, you know, the team still had some success. We made it into the national tournament, but that's not the measure of success. It's not just getting there. It's we want to make sure that, you know, players are enjoying the, the experience and that they're um, finding ways to be successful, but not from me sort of, you know, like I said, holding the reins too tight. And so even at 53, I'm like I said, I'm still learning. And, and I want to improve from that and learn from that and uh, and provide, again, like I said, the best experience I can for as many players as I can while, while I'm doing this. That is a perfect spot to shut this chat down. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats with Travis McCorkle of Angelo State University Women's Soccer, and I'm out. Peace. Thanks for having me. What a great chat. Thanks for checking it out. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter at Coaches Let's Chat. Hit that subscribe button. And once again, if you get a chance, drop a review. It's super, super helpful for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.